0: Great passage of Scripture today. maybe may be more familiar with it being called the Beatitudes. It's from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is the Luke version of it rather than the Matthew version of it, so the wording may be a little bit differently, but a lot of verses that you've actually heard before. Now, the way this is set up here, we're going to do verses 20 through 26, continuing our study here through the book of Luke. If you look from verses 20 through 23, there's four blessings given. And for each one of those blessings, then in verses 24 through 26, There's four woes given, a warning on the other side. Now, before we get into the blessings and the woes and what it means, we need to talk about this word, blessed. We throw this term around a lot. Blessed literally means to be happy. So as you go through this, it said blessed are you if you do these things. You'll have joy in life. That's one of the goals, I would hope, is to have joy in life. Now, there's a difference, though, you have to understand in having an eternal joy in life and then also having temporary happiness. Nehemiah 8.10 is a verse I absolutely love. It says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Nehemiah 8.10 says that God gives us joy, an eternal joy in whatever situation we are facing. We have joy. Now, does that mean you will have happiness in every situation? No, happiness is very temporary. I heard a pastor say one time, and it really hit me. He said, am I happy in my marriage? He goes, no, I'm not happy in my marriage. I'm not happy in my ministry. He goes, I'm not happy in my life. He goes, "Now I have moments of happiness in my marriage. I have moments of happiness in ministry, and I have moments of happiness in life. He goes, but I'm joyful in my ministry, I'm joyful in my marriage, and I'm joyful in my life. Happiness is a temporary thing. There's days that are happy, there's days that aren't happy. There's good days at work, there's bad days at work. There's times where you feel happy because you physically feel good, there's times where you feel awful. You're not happy at that moment. We have to quit chasing a happiness in life and look for a joy in life that supersedes whatever situation you are facing, or whatever you're going through. If you are chasing happiness, you will be continually disappointed because you can't live in one big pep rally every day of your life. And this is one of the things I tell, especially married couples. If you're looking for your spouse to bring you happiness... God brings you joy, and therefore you then have joy in your marriage. If you're looking for your job to bring you happiness, no. God brings you joy, and then you will have joy in your job. That's the way it works. So as we go through this, this blessed are you is a way for us to have an eternal joy because we're looking past the situations of this world and looking to an eternity where we realize that's where real joy is. So these are four ways to have you have more joy on this earth as you look past these momentary things of the world, and look towards the eternal joy of heaven. With that being said, verse 20, then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, we're going to read actually 20 through 26, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast you out, your name is evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Four blessings, four woes. Let's talk about them. The first one, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew's version says, blessed are you poor in spirit. Now, this is kind of interesting. Let's talk about the first one of Matthew there, born in spirit. There is a blessing in realizing who you are in Christ Jesus. When you realize who you are in Christ, you are blessed and you're joyful because you realize he just loves you. Romans chapter 3 goes into detail. Paul write, runs out this whole course here in Romans 3 where basically says we're wretched, horrible, despicable sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he says God still loves us. So to be poor in spirit is for you to realize who you are in the Lord, that I am nothing, but through Christ I'm everything. That is a great point to start out with, because when you have that point down, whatever you face in life now pales in comparison to eternity. I don't know how many times people have called me up on the phone or contacted me, and their life is falling apart. Their life is not going good in any way whatsoever. And I say, but at least you have Christ. You still have that. People call me up and say, I'm not happy. And I say, well, what's going on? So they tell me what's going on in their life. My response, Julie, is, well, if I had your life, I wouldn't be happy either. But you have Christ, which gives you joy. And that joy supersedes whatever you're facing in life. Because even though I'm poor in spirit, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I have eternity in heaven waiting for me. Whatever I face on this earth pales in comparison to that. You have to keep that in your mind. You have to. If you don't keep that thought in your mind, you're going to go up and down in depression and discouragement left and right because you're going to allow the things of this world to dictate your joy and happiness. My joy is dictated by Christ and Christ alone. I'm poor in spirit and amen to that. Christ saved me. Now the next one here, let's talk about poor though for a second. Blessed are you poor. Let's just talk about materialism, not having a lot. Turn, if you will, with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a great refrigerator verse. Write it down, put it on the fridge, read it every day. 1 Timothy 6, to be poor. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. How simple is that verse? That's not deep theology. God says, you have me, godliness, you have food, you have clothing, be content. How simple God, food, and clothing, content. Now, we all know this. I put that into practice. Because I'd be content if my house was a little bigger. I'd be content if my car was a little newer. I'd be content if my TV was a little bigger. I'd be content if I had better food choices. No. Godliness, food, and clothing equals contentment in this world. We all know this, but do we put it into practice? That's the hard part. Because there's this materialism that just takes over. Now, every now and then my boys... want to talk, and they want to have these deep conversations. So they'll come up and they'll say, Dad, can I talk to you? And I say, sure. They said, but I want to talk to you privately. I always think this is going to be fun. So the other day, Kenan, our third one, who's four, he wanted to talk to me privately. They want to make an appointment. Actually, one time, Elias, my oldest, took one of the prayer request sheets out here at church, filled it out, and asked for an appointment with me. He actually did it. (laughs) So we go into my bedroom, and we say we want to talk. Okay, Kenan, what do you want to talk about? He goes, I want to talk about Christmas. I want to go through my Christmas list. I said, okay, Christmas is three months away, but we'll start talking about Christmas. And then he also wants to talk about his birthday. Now, his birthday is not until next June, but he also wants to start talking about it. And I'm not exaggerating anyway. We want a good ten minutes of just materialism, just what, what he wants, everything just, just going on and on and on. And it got to a point where we started saying, okay, Christmas is coming up. And we start talking about what Christmas means because he reached this point of materialism. He lost me for a second. He's going through everything, he wants and once all of a sudden he starts picking weird objects. He goes, Dad, I want a cross. I said a cross? Is that a cross like Jesus died on? He goes, Yeah, I want a cross, but without the nails. I said, okay. Then he goes, I want an exercise machine. I said, okay. He goes, and I want a candle. At this point, I realized he was just looking around our bedroom, as randomly picking objects. <laughs> That's how materialistic he was. He he. Every little idea he could come up with in his four-year-old mind disappeared after ten minutes. And now he's just randomly picking objects. It's like the old um, um, Wheel of Fortune. Remember that when they used to shop? Just pick items and just go from there. So I said, let's stop here for a second. I said, let's talk about Christmas. I said, what's the point of Christmas? He says, the point of Christmas is when Jesus came down on on earth. I said, okay, why did he come down on earth? He came down to die on the cross for our sins. Okay, and I said, well, why do we give presents at Christmas? And what we've taught the boys is we give presents because Christ is the present that God gave us. He knows it all. He didn't put it into practice. Here's the point. We know this verse. This verse is really simple. Godliness, food, clothing, amen. That is all I need in life. But I'm still going to throw a little hissy fit when I don't get what I want. Help us to work on godliness with contentment. See, when you said blessed are the poor... Because in some ways, when you're stripped of every material possession you have and you're just down to the basics of all you need, you realize all you ever needed was really Christ. It's not what you need, it's who you need. And that who is Jesus. And that's what we got to focus on. Because here's the thing. I've run into people out here at church that are materially materialistically I should say blessed by the world. They have a good paying job, money is not an issue, and if you would talk to them, you would not know that they are rich in any way whatsoever. But on the flip side, I run into people that barely have anything, but yet they're haughty and rich with a dollar to their name. It's not how much you have, it's the perspective you have with what you have. And this is what Jesus is trying to warn us about. Now stay here in 1 Timothy 6 because we talked about a woe. And I'm just going to read it to you real quick to remind you of it. The woe was, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. God says beware of riches. Why? Well, let's look here at verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and the snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, we have to make this clear. It's not saying that money in and of itself is evil. It's the love of money that is evil. Once again, I've met people that have lots of money. It's not evil to them. They use it for the kingdom, for the glory. Amen. I've also to run into people that have had very little money, and it's evil to them. Now, what God is warning us here in verses 9 and 10 is what is your desire? Desire to be rich. A desire to always have that bigger thing. Now, a lot of times we look at verses 9 and 10 and we say, well, this isn't me. There is no way I could be rich with what I make. There's no way I'm ever going to be rich. I barely make enough to get by. But how is your heart? Is your TV not big enough? Is your house not big enough? Once again, is your car not new enough? Are you going to take every bit of overtime they dangle in front of you, suffering your relationship with your kids and your spouse and ministry opportunities because you just want that extra dollar? As it says here in verse 9, that's foolish. That's harmful. That drowns you in destruction. That's why Jesus said, Woe to those who are rich. They have their consolation. What Jesus is saying, if you're poor, poor in spirit, you have all of eternity to be blessed. All of eternity to be blessed. Think about the blessings of eternity, the inheritance we receive through Christ, the mansion we have in heaven, the health we have in heaven. We have all of eternity to be blessed. If you don't have that relationship with Christ, then all your quote-unquote blessings are going to happen right Here and now. And that's why Jesus is saying, you have your consolation. This is your blessing right now. So enjoy what you got because for your eternity, it's hell. That's why we want to be poor in spirit and make sure we have that relationship with Christ. Which takes us right to our next one. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be filled. This idea of hungering. Now Matthew says hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here in Luke is talking about hunger. Let's, Let's just talk about the physical thing here for a second. This is one thing as Christians, I want to just let you know. You don't have to worry about all those things that the world says you need to worry about. If you're faithful in your relationship with Christ, and we'll get to giving here in the next week or two because it's coming up. If you're faithful and you're giving to the Lord, God says, I promise I'll take care of you. He promises that. Proverbs 30 tells us this. He says, give me neither riches that I forget you nor give me poverty that I profane your name. There's something with just having enough to get by. There's a great passage in the book of Hosea where Hosea says that uh, they were given everything they wanted and God says, and they forgot. Well, I've seen that. I've seen when people struggle in life, they're close to the Lord. Once they reach a point of comfortability, well, I'm okay now. Boy, sometimes the closest times you have with Christ are those times where you're really, really low and you don't have a lot. That's why God says in Matthew 6 to lay up treasures for you in heaven. If you're clinging to what this earth has to offer you and give you, there always will be an emptiness. That's why the woe given here in uh, Luke chapter 6 is, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. If, If you really want to fill yourself up with everything this world has, There will always be a hunger in you where you're not satisfied. If you don't believe me, go check out the book of Ecclesiastes and realize there is always a hunger for something more. Unless you have Christ, that's the only place where you find actual contentment. God will meet your needs. David came out and said in Psalm 37, 25, I have never seen the righteous suffer for bread. God will meet your needs. Now, note the key word there is needs, not wants. Your needs are met. What are your needs? Godliness with contentment, food and clothing. That's your needs. There's always going to be something that looks better. There's always going to be something that sounds better. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Your needs will be met. And sometimes your needs are met on a daily basis, a weekly basis, maybe even an hourly minute basis. Now this is difficult because every now and then we have somebody contact the church and they're really hurting. Really, we had a situation years ago where somebody from the community, no one associated with the church, they contacted the church. They were in a real difficult financial pos- uh, position. They were hungering, and they, were, they needed tens of thousands of dollars. So they contacted the church and asked if we could give them a loan. Now, I obviously said, no, we can't do that. No, that's not something we do. Now, at this time, I saw a ministry opportunity, so I said, you know what? Let's talk about this. So we talked a little bit. And I said, do you realize God has given you an opportunity here? You are so low. You are so hurting. You, there is so much you need. I said, do you realize this is a wonderful opportunity for you to give everything over to the Lord, your life and everything? And say, okay, Lord, I trust that you will meet my needs. Now, you may say, well, that's easy for you to say. You're not the one suffering in that type of debt or problem. The truth of the matter is, sometimes when you're stripped of everything physically, you really stop and you say, I have to trust the Lord that he's going to meet my needs. If you have bills coming up and you don't know where the money's going to come from, why not start praying right now that the Lord would meet your needs? If you have something coming up and you don't know what's going to happen with it, why not start praying, Lord, meet my needs? And trust him in faith that he will do that. I'm not saying don't plan ahead. You know, don't hear something I'm not saying. There's godly wisdom when it comes to finances. But at the same time, too, there is a blessing in realizing God is the God of my economy and my business, and I have to trust that. And when I do things according to his scripture, when I'm faithful in my giving to him, when I'm faithful in trusting to him, the Lord blesses that. And like I said, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I tell you right now, Dawn and I could give testimony after testimony of the Lord just meeting your needs out of the blue. And it's amazing to see what the Lord does. God says, blessed are you who hunger now, you will be filled. He will meet our needs needs Be careful, though, the flip side of verse 25 of saying, "You know what? I'm full. Everything's good. Everything's fine." No, you're full of the world's riches, but yet you're empty spiritually. You will hunger for more, and that's something you have to be careful about. Now, that's the physical side. What about the spiritual side? Matthew's gospel says, "Hunger and thirst for righteousness." Turn if you will with me to uh, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Let's talk about this hunger and thirsting for righteousness. To be quite honest. This is something we struggle with as as a body of Christ, as a church, and I mean in the world. This hunger and thirsting for more of God. If there was only one parable that I would ever be able to teach out of, I would always pick the parable of the sower and the seed. This parable of the sower and the seed explains everything you need to know. Matthew 13 Verse 3, sower goes out to sow. You can see it falls in four different places. Verse 4, some by the wayside, the birds devour it. Verse 5, stony places, there's no root. So what happens in verse 6, the sun comes up, they're scorched. Verse 7, some fall among the thorns and are choked. Verse 8, falls on good ground. Listen to this at the end of verse 8. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, let's talk about the interpretation. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. So what it's saying here is when you present the gospel, and you know, let's say that you're presenting the gospel to hundreds of people, some people have that seed of life given to them. They choose to reject that by not understanding, and this doesn't mean that they can't grasp it. It means they choose to not grasp it. So therefore, it's tossed off to the side. That's the one thing that happens. You speak truth to people, they don't want to hear it. Gets tossed off to the side. They don't care. Bird snatches it up. Verse 20. He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself and endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This is the person that I probably see the most of. Verses 20 and 21. They come out to church. They're pumped. They're excited. They're here every Sunday. They're going to do Wednesdays. They're going to serve in the back. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. This is exactly what I need. All of a sudden, what happens, verse 21, a little tribulation, a little persecution, and then God is tossed off to the side. They don't need him anymore. They don't want him anymore. You contact him, and sometimes they don't even respond. You write him. You call them. Hey, what's going on? You finally get a hold of them. generally the response is, oh, just busy. Oh, yeah, what's going on with life? Oh, just busy just code for i don't want to talk to you anymore but i don't let it go i get paid to do this so i said oh busy with what just life persecution tribulation god's no longer needed i'm gonna be honest with you these are the up down christians if you catch them on the up and you meet them for the first time you think wow what a grounded saint what an amazing man or woman of god you catch them when they're down you think what happened to them life is good god is good life is bad god's bad there's no foundation there's no joy there's no nothing The world controls their emotions. The world controls their relationship with Christ. That's not the way it's supposed to be. What about verse 22, the third group? Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, and he becomes unfruitful. This is what happens when somebody allows the world to take over their life. Not emotions, just the world. These are the ones that are always going to go deeper just a little bit. Once things slow down, I'll go a little deeper. Once things get worked out, I'll go a little deeper. Once I get through this phase of life, I'll go a little deeper. I'm telling you right now, there's always going to be something to knock you back. Always. So if you're that type of person in verse 22 of once things, whatever, you're never going to get to that spot. Verse 23, he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is the one I want to talk about. This is the one that get it and they say, I want it. I want everything that God has in store for me. Now, note the return. 30, 60, 100. 30, 60, 100. This is now the point I'm trying to make. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you're at 30, let's shoot to go for 60. If you're at 60, let's go to get to 100. Let's always want more of what God has in store for us. We just used the word contentment you know, a few minutes ago, and we used it in the good sense. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. Here, if you're content with where you're at in Christ, this is not good. You don't want to be comfortable in your relationship with Christ. You always want more of what God has in store for you. It's not a burden we carry, it's not something I'm forced to do. It's something I willfully choose to say I want something more in my life and my marriage and with my kids and ministry. I want to go from 30 to 60 to 100. I hunger and thirst for more righteousness. I want everything God has in store for me. Now, if you say you're full, According to Luke chapter 6, woe to you who are full, you shall hunger. There's always going to be an emptiness in your life. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not. We always desire more of the Lord. Let's be honest. What keeps us from sometimes wanting to go deeper in the Lord? We'll jump back to Luke 6. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. What keeps us from going deeper in the Lord? Weeping. Some of you came in today, and I may not know for sure what's going on, but I bet you some of you came in today, and you're physically in a lot of pain. It was a struggle to get here and no one knows it. No one sees it. They don't know what you go through on a regular basis. It's a struggle. Some of you came in spiritually. You're carrying heavy burdens. Now you got a smile on your face and when we ask you how you're doing, you say, good. We don't know, but you're carrying burdens. Some of you came in emotionally and it was just a struggle to even get in here today. You're in this season right now, verse 22 of, excuse me, verse 21 of weeping. God says you get to laugh. For all of eternity, you get to laugh and joy. Now, Does that help you right now? gives you a goal. gives you a destination. You have to trust that the Lord says that this temporary time of sadness and struggle and sorrow is just that temporary. Compared to the balance of eternity, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of struggle versus eternity of joy, I'll pick eternity because that's what matters. Corinthians tells us this, the God of comfort comforts us. See, when you're going through a difficult time, God wants comfort you. sad part is some people don't want to be comforted by God. They want to carry a grudge. They want to be bitter. They want to be angry. They want to complain. And you know, the thing is, I used to really try to work with those people and say, what can we do to show them the joy of the Lord? And then I realized that is such a personal thing between them and the Lord. No matter of convincing will change their perspective on that. Nothing. So what I do now when I run into somebody who just wants to be bitter and complain about life, I say, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Well, then that gives you a joy that supersedes all circumstances. That's all I can say. Because Christ does that. I can't sit there and say, oh, you know, I know you're going through a tough time, but it's not that bad right now. No, because in their mind, they have the worst life that's ever been created. Of six billion people in the world, they got it worse than anybody. It's a season of weeping. Turn, if you will, to Ecclesiastes, please. Ecclesiastes 3. Are there seasons of life that are difficult? You bet they are. We all go through seasons of discouragement and depression. We all go through seasons of struggle. We all do. Are some people's seasons of life more difficult than others? Yeah, there are. But the same joy of the Lord that gets us through anything is there available to everybody. We can't allow temporary struggles in this earth to dictate our eternal joy. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, please. Look here at Ecclesiastes 3. Let's go with verse uh, 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Let's stop right there for a second. A lot of you are in verses 3 and 4, I would say, right now. You're in that idea of breaking down and building up, the dime of weeping and laughing and mourning and dancing. That's the majority of life right there. If you're in the time of weeping, do you realize what the next phrase is? time of laugh. That season will change. When? I can't tell you. It may change today. It may change in a week. It may change in a month. It may change in a year or a decade. I know it's going to change. If nothing else, it's going to change as soon as you enter eternity. Your time of weeping will end. Your time of mourning, it will end. There will be a time when that time of mourning ends. If you only focus on the weeping in the morning, you're ignoring half the scripture of the laughing and the dancing. You're in a season of life that is difficult, that is completely understandable, and therefore there's a time of weeping, but you can't allow that emotional season to control you. And at this point, there's almost somebody that always says, yeah, but you don't know how hard it is. No, because I haven't walked in your shoes. The shoes of the matter is you haven't walked in my shoes. Everybody has their struggles. And we need to realize we can't allow those struggles to control us. God says, blessed are you when you weep. Because why? When you weep, when you're struggling, be it physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you realize the only thing you have is Christ. The only thing you have is the Lord. The only thing you have is the hope of eternity. You know, if you're married or you have a close friend that's gone through something where they're physically, emotionally, spiritually suffering, you sit there and you suffer with them because you say, I wish there was something I can do. You realize the only person that can help them through that is the Lord. But God says, I'll get you through it. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61.3, God says, I will trade you beauty for ashes. Some of your lives right now are a pile of ash. Relationships are burned down. Your health is burned down. Emotionally, you're burned down. Spiritually, you're burned. You're, it's just a pile of ash. God says, hey, I'll make a trade with you. Give me the ash, I'll give you beauty. That's what the Lord does. He says, blessed are you when you weep. God has a spot for the tender the people that are hurting. He truly does. And if you want to sit there right now and say, well, then where is he at? Don't allow bitterness and emotion and anger and frustration to control you. That is the one thing that Satan likes to do to pull you away from the Lord. Don't allow that. Your focus is on eternity. God says you will laugh later. Now, what's the woe to this? Look at the uh, verse 25 of Luke 6. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now, does this mean you're not allowed to have fun in life? No. What this is saying is that there's a seriousness to what we do. There's a word that the Bible uses a lot. It's sober. It says to think soberly, to act sober. Now, when we think of the word sober, we think of refraining from alcohol. The word literally means seriousness. There's a seriousness to what we do. We are dealing with heaven and hell. So when this is saying woe to those who laugh, it means if you're constantly just looking at life to bring you some meaningless happiness and you're not looking at eternity, God says Woe to you. Yes, enjoy the life that God has given you. Be blessed by it. But there is a seriousness to what we do that we have a responsibility to tell other people about Christ. I have joy. I have joy with my wife and my kids and my friends and fellowship and church. But there's also seriousness to what we do. When we're praying for people, we're praying people heaven and hell. God says keep that seriousness in the back of your mind. If you only look at life as as just what happiness I can have, Later on, you're going to mourn and weep because you realize you missed the eternal significance of why you're here. You were created to tell people about the Lord. Now, as you tell people about the Lord, guess what's going to happen? Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did the prophets. Guess what? When you take a stand for Christ, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be hated, excluded, reviled your name will be cast out as evil. How's that for a pep talk? That's what's going to happen. Now note, this is important. You are hated, excluded, reviled, and cast out. Look at the end of verse 22. For the son of man's sake. If people are hating you, reviling you, excluding you, and casting your name out as evil just because you're a jerk, you're not getting blessed for that, okay? I've met people that just aren't nice people to be around. And they take this verse and they twist it. And they say something to the effect of, well, I guess I'm blessed. no. You're not blessed. You're not acting like a godly man or woman, and people don't like being around you because of your personality and your attributes. You are being blessed when you take a stand for Christ. Take a stand for Christ, and that's when people don't like you. It's important to know that wording. You can go out and just be a really rude person. I have everybody hate you and say, I'm blessed. That's not what this verse is talking about. As Christians, even in moments of difficulty, we do not have a green light to go down to the world's standards and how we act. You will take a stand, and as you take a stand, people will not like you. Do you realize if you call yourself a Christian what you just did? Judas immediately said there's billions of people going to hell. Immediately. As soon as you call yourself a Christian and you say that you stand for Christ, you are saying that all Muslims, all Hindus, all world religions are all going to hell because as a Christian, you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. Now, how do you think they're going to respond to that? They're not going to like that. When you are the one taking a stand for the Lord, you are saying, I am right and you are wrong. That's what you're saying. There's no way around that. Too often, Christianity waters itself down. Well, I, I believe in Jesus, and that's what works for me. I don't know what works for you, but Jesus is what works for me. No, I believe in Jesus, and that's what works for everybody. Now, to make that stand, we're not going to like you. Don't, don't be shocked at this. Don't be shocked when you're the only one in your marriage that wants to take a stand for the Lord, and they can't figure out why you're not, why, why can't you just be happy? Don't be shocked when you're the only one on your line at work that wants to take a stand for the Lord and everybody can't stand you. Don't be shocked by those things. Stay here in Luke. Just jump ahead a couple chapters if you will, please. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12. This is one of the most honest verses in the Bible, and to be quite honest, it doesn't get the attention it's supposed to get. Luke 12, verse 49. Luke 12:49 Jesus speaking I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it's accomplished Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth I tell you not at all but rather division From now on on five excuse me from from now on five in one house will be divided three against two and two against three Father will be divided against son and son against father mother against daughter and daughter against mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law Now, anytime you go to the Christian bookstore and you see that nice picture of Jesus, you don't see verse 51 under that picture. You don't. He said this. This is on the same level of my peace I give to you. He is telling you when you take a stand for the Lord, people are not going to like you. That is a fact. And he says you are blessed when you take a stand for my name's sake. Now, please note once again, to the point of repetition, it's when you take a stand for the Lord. I've had people come up to me over the years and say, people don't like me. Why? Because I'm just blunt. I just tell it like it is. No, people don't like you because of your personality. That's why. When you can take a stand for the Lord, they don't like you because you're making a stand for Christ and what is truth. And the world doesn't like truth. The Bible makes it clear when you shine a light in the darkness, the darkness wants to flee. They don't want to be around it. Some of you can live and understand verses 52 and 53 of Luke 12. You know what it's like to be in a house of taking a stand for the Lord, and your spouse doesn't like it, your kids don't like it, your sisters and brothers, whatever it is, they don't like it. You know what it's like in verse 52 to be the only one at your job taking a stand for the Lord. You know how difficult that is, how lonely that is. You know verse 53. You got saved, and you came home and told your family you're saved, and you just thought they would jump up and down and say, great! And you came home and tell them you're saved, and all of a sudden now they can't stand you. That's what Christ does. Because when you take a stand for the truth, it forces people to either accept or reject that truth. And as you go deeper in your walk with the Lord, you're going to find out there's going to be division. Now, division doesn't bother me if it's somebody I don't know that well. If a stranger comes up to me and says, I know what your church teaches, I've heard your lessons, I know what you preach, and I can't stand you and I don't want to be near you, I smile and say amen. (laughs) You know, that's good. If it's somebody I'm close to emotionally, it hurts. So I want to have that relationship with them. See, it's easy to strangers and acquaintances to say, let there be division. But when that division is in a deep-rooted relationship with you and your family and loved ones, you know what that verse is trying to say. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're willing to put me in front of other people. Look at verse 23 of Luke 6. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great where? In heaven. The eternal reward happens in eternity. Sometimes you will be a lonely person on this world because it's just you and the Lord, because all your friends and family have let go of you. But you know what? Look at verse 23. For in the like manner their fathers did to the prophets. I've been reading um, Jeremiah for devotional. And if you read the story of Jeremiah, he's got to be one of the most lonely people that ever lived. Jeremiah went through a rough time. Anytime his message was given tossed off to the side. I heard a pastor say one time, because if you study out Jeremiah or Lamentations, as far as we know, not one single person responded to his ministry as a prophet. Not one. Jeremiah, I don't know how many times in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah just wants to give up. Now, in heaven, guess what Jeremiah is right now? He's blessed. He was willing to serve the Lord and be faithful, and he was blessed. Be careful, verse 26, everybody likes you. Now, don't go out and look for persecution or trouble. If you just take a stand for the Lord, it will, be ha- it will happen. But, If everybody thinks you're wonderful and great, I'm probably not making a stand for the truth a whole awful lot. Because when you make a stand for the truth, people will not and cannot accept that in many ways. It's tough. Do you go out and look for trials and tribulation and persecution? No. When you take a stand for the faith, it will just find you. There's no doubt about it. But when you have the eternal perspective, oh, it's all worth it. Just look at this. Let's just sum this up real quick. Look at the four blessings. If you're poor, poor in spirit or poor in this world, You realize the blessings that heaven has for you and you realize what Jesus did for you. You're blessed because you realize Christ is what saved you. What about verse 21, those who hunger now? See, if you're hungering now, that means I want more of the Lord. I want more of what he has for me. I'm blessed for that. I will be filled. Blessed are those who weep now. Some of you right now are going through a very difficult time in life. God says you are blessed because through this trial and tribulation, you're growing in me, and he goes, and this tribulation will end. Verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you. When you are willing to take a stand for the Lord and say, I care more about what Jesus thinks about me than what others think about me, God says you're blessed for all of eternity. Now flip it around, verses 24 through 26. Woe to you who are rich. If your focus in this world is how good I am and how good I'm going to get it and everything I'm going to get, you're going to walk away from this world disappointed. You'll be empty. Same thing with verse 25. I got everything I need. I'm fine. No, you're not. Verse 25, woe to you who laugh now. There's a seriousness to what we do. I'm not saying don't have joy in life, but there's a seriousness in heaven and hell and realizing where people are going. And lastly, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Accept the fact that when you take a stand for the Lord, Some people aren't going to like it. If they call you a Jesus freak, that's probably the best compliment you can receive. What a blessing that is. Let's go ahead and hear and get ready for the final song. Glenn, if you want to come forward. Let's pray real quick. Lord, help us to put this stuff into practice, to truly look for the blessings that you give and the blessings of eternity. Lord, help us to look back these temporary moments of of pain and discomfort and hurting, be it spiritually, emotionally, or physically, and to truly look for you to be the one that helps us through this. And Lord, for those that are weeping now, for those that are suffering, Lord, in the name of Jesus, just be with them. Be with them, Lord. Encourage them, uplift them as they trade their ashes for me. We lift this up in your name. Amen.